A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community and communities create social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with, uh, I'm going to call him eco-activist, Paul Watson, who was the co-founder of Greenpeace, but I think more importantly, uh, the founder of, of Sea Shepherd. And uh, we, we, we talked about, well, once again, one of those conversations that I think that could have gone on for quite a, quite a while. We talked about something called aggressive nonviolence and, and why he was so frustrated with, with protesting and, and what led to the eventual creation of, of this thing called Sea Shepherd and how he's created a movement and the thing that he's most proud of. We talk about Sun Tzu and the art of war and we talk about uh, death and, 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 and how it was a real motivator for him actually overcoming his fear of death was the motivator. We talk about uh, the three sort of laws of ecology, diversity, interdependence, and, and the law of finite resources. And we talk about uh, the environment, of course, and climatology and, and, and how it's uh, all connected to to well, as as Paul says, this courage to commit—that's that's how you know you too can make a passionate difference. And and he really truly does. After all these years, uh, still believe that even though the system is against you, as Paul will say, he believes that you know every one of us can and, and in fact make a difference. He talks about why. Uh, Gandhi didn't help in this life-changing moment for him where he looked a whale in the eye and and he understood. He felt understood. And this was one of those moments uh, that led to uh, him doing the work that he went on to do. You've got to see this film, Watson. It's uh, I, it's in the theaters. It's, it's going to be online. If it's not already, by the time you hear this, it will be very soon. Uh, check it out, Watson. It's it's a it's a brilliant film. It's it's gorgeous. It's stunning to look at. Leslie Chilcott directed it. The images that she has of of wildlife and 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 the world that we live in are, are remarkable and, and kind of juxtapose uh, over and against uh, Paul and his life and 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 just to, the commitment that he had to push back and to push back against truth, speak truth to power and push back against the status quo and, and really uh, make a difference. Paul's a fascinating guy and it really comes out, I think in our, our conversation a little bit, and I hope it drives you to the film as well. And, and it's, yeah. Can you tell that, uh, that I had, uh, not only did I have a great time chatting with Paul, but uh, really enjoyed the film as well. It's, it's thoughtful. It's, it's 
it's marvelous. It's, it really is delightful on so many levels. And it's a real challenge and an affirmation of, of being human and, and, and why, you know, uh, sometimes stepping in and intervening is the only way. So check it out online. Uh, check out Sea Shepherd. And don't forget to check out davidpecklive.com as well for um, info there about my speaking and writing. Uh, you can copy, uh, you can purchase a copy of Real Changes Incremental. And face-to-face live.ca, there's uh, some website changes uh, occurring as we speak and uh, something new coming. And uh, look there to see uh, oh, about 535 interviews now published. Uh, you're probably coming to this uh, interview through iTunes or Spotify, Amazon, one of one of the key players. But uh, check face-to-face live.ca out, uh, out, out. And please, social mediate us. Uh, get, share it with family and friends. Get it, get on our uh, email list. Get on the newsletter. And don't forget, you can advertise with us as well. If you're really interested, uh, reach out uh, there. And, and uh, we'll look forward to, you know, our next conversation. But right now, uh, stay tuned. Don't uh, touch that. Oh, you know what? I almost forgot. Please, if you enjoy what you're listening to, if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review. It's so important. An iTunes review, a Spotify review would make uh, would mean the world to me, and uh, would honestly uh, the little things make make a difference. Uh, a like on YouTube, stepping in, uh, and and uh, socially mediating us would would make all the difference. It really would. So um, stay tuned though now for uh, uh, Paul Watson and uh, chatting about a whole lot of things and his new film uh, directed by Leslie Chilcott. Watson coming right up. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest here with us today. We have um, Paul Watson here, um, the subject of a new film uh, coming out in the, well, actually, I think it's out already in some parts of the world, Watson, uh, directed by Leslie Chilcott. Paul, what a pleasure to have you on Face to Face today. Thanks for taking the time. Well, thank you. So, so Paul, I mean, I just, I think one of the things that, that boggled my mind, and by the way, uh, congrats, can I say congratulations on the film? I guess it's sort of your film, isn't it? Or it's a film about you. Uh, can I, can I, it is about me. (laughs) (laughs) Can I say congratulations? Are you, are you feeling good about the film? I'm assuming you've seen it. Yeah, I think she did a good job. Yeah, yeah, I think it was wonderful, and and I'm recommending it. I've recommended it already to a few people. I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a game changer for for a lot of people. I really do. And those those the the splash and ripple effect, you know, it's uh, it can be pretty profound, and it's really remarkable what can you know change course for people. And um, I mean, I I think what 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 boggled my mind, um, Paul, about you and your history is that there's just so much of it. Yeah, it appears to be. <laughs> <laughs> it appears to be. So, so like, where do we start? Like, honestly, I mean, do do we even talk about Greenpeace? You know, uh, do do we just talk about what's happening today in the world? But it's just, it's really quite quite remarkable where you've been. And I love how how Leslie frames you. I think it's near the early in the film, and you're going through your files. You clearly are a note taker, uh, as as a. Um, uh, somebody who's done captain's logs for many, many years. You're, you're a man of detail. Well, not as much as I should be, but. <laughs> oh, is that right? Is that not played out so well for you in the past? Oh, no, it's just that I do the best I can, but uh, time overwhelms us. Those, so those logbooks that we actually get to see with the images and the drawings and so on, I mean, they look just, they look like works of art. Well, I think so, yeah, because I look on them as a historical um, document. Mm archive them uh to really document all of the voyages that we've done over the last 42 years it's and and, and could you could you come up with a number of, of how many you've done actually no i does it in the <laughs> hundreds really i it would be in the I hundreds keep track anymore we have 12 ships out there right now and uh, it's 
hard to keep track of all, yeah. all of their movements all at any given time. It's just really, really quite remarkable. So tell you what, why don't you give us some context about Sea Shepherd? Happy to listen, uh, you know, to what to whatever you have to say about the film as well, and definitely want to hear more about the Bridget Bardot file. <laughs> I uh, established Sea Shepherd in 1977 uh, as an interventionist uh, organization. Uh, you know, I left Greenpeace because I just felt frustrated with protests, mm-hmm. you know, hanging banners and taking pictures and nothing changed. So uh, with Sea Shepherd, we became an anti-poaching organization. We concentrated on illegal activities. And I developed a strategy which um, I called then uh, uh, aggressive nonviolence. Mm. In other words, we're going to be aggressive, but we're not going to hurt anybody. And in the last 42 years, we've not caused a single injury to a single person nor sustained any serious injuries, but we have shut shut down hundreds of uh, illegal activities. Can you tell me a little bit more about this idea? You know, you're frustrated with protesting. You know, I watched uh, watched a film. I'm, I'm I'm not sure if you've heard of the name David Suzuki, but you're from Toronto, so you probably know David. Oh, I know uh, David personally, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I just interviewed him recently, and he he said he felt as if you know we as environmentalists had failed. And and I'm just interested because I, I've I've read about you that you you know you're an interventionist. You're not, you're not a you're not a protester per se, and so you say you got frustrated with it. Can you unpack that a little bit for our listeners? Well, protesting is very submissive. It's like, please, please, please don't kill the whales, but they do it anyway, and we just document it and bear witness, whatever that is, and uh, nothing changes. Uh, the other problem with protesting is that, especially with civil disobedience, is that young people, especially get involved with it and they end up getting a criminal record. And that certainly affects their ability to do anything later in life. Uh, you know, the system has it down that if you, if you rebel and mm. you rebel in that way using civil disobedience, well, they have ways of dealing with you. Uh, what I've managed to do over the last 42 years is to not get a criminal record uh, and to get things done. And so I think this approach works. So, so tell me, you know, in the film, it comes out and I've, I've, I've interviewed Rob Stewart as well, uh, twice actually, in fact, and, and, and a big fan. My daughter's life was kind of changed as a result of images from Sharkwater. Um, he appears in the film very briefly. Um, and, and how, that looked like you should have wound up in jail over that. And you, you pretty much almost did. Right. And it's been in the, it was in the courts for years, this Costa Rican, um, what would you even call it? Accusation, I guess, a challenge. Um, but you, but you managed to beat it. It was political. It wasn't judicial. Mm. And the reason being is that that particular incident took place in Guatemalan waters. We intervened mm. against an illegal activity at the request of the Guatemalan government. Now, the fishermen put in a complaint to Costa Rica, and I was charged with eight counts of attempted homicide. But I wasn't too concerned because uh, Rob Stewart had it all on film, and we went into court in Costa Rica. They looked at it and dropped the charges. A week later, they uh, then uh, came back and charged me with eight counts of assault. Well, we went back into court, and they showed the film, and they had to drop the charges. And uh, I was given clearance to leave the country, which I did. And I never heard anything uh, for the next uh, 10 years until I landed in Germany in 2012, and there was an extradition request by Costa Rica to to Germany to extradite me, which came out of left field. And now the charge was shipwreck endangerment, whatever that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, if you don't know, I sure don't. And uh, so that all come about because of a meeting between the president of Costa Rica and the prime minister of Japan in December of 2011. So really, Japan was using Costa Rica to uh, because they're a big, you know, they provided a lot of foreign aid. Uh, so they were using them to to 
to come after me. So when I got held in Germany for two months under house arrest on this extradition request, during that time, uh, Japan filed with Germany for an extradition request. Now, I wasn't on the Interpol red list, but in late July of 2012, I get a call from a supporter within the Ministry of Justice in Germany who said, you know, when you come in to report, because I had to report every day to the police station, when you come in to report, you're going to be arrested and sent uh, extradited to Japan. And I said to myself, well, no, I'm not. <laughs> I left the country. And so I, uh, I managed with, I didn't have any papers or anything, but I managed to cross the Atlantic, cross North America, cross the Pacific and rejoin my ship. It took me a couple of months to do it. But... Um, then what happened is that because I left Germany, then Japan and Costa Rica were able to get me onto the Interpol red notice list. Right. Now, the Interpol no red notice list is for serial killers, major drug traffickers, and war criminals. And I'm the only person in the history of that list to be put on there for conspiracy to trespass. Is that right? Didn't hurt wow. anybody, didn't steal anything, didn't damage any property. But that's why I was on there. Now, last year, Costa Rica dismissed the charges and dropped me from that Interpol red notice. Not Why? Because of a change of government. New government, they took a look at it and said, this is ridiculous. And uh, so if it was judicial, they wouldn't have been able to do that. So now it's only Japan that has me on that red notice. And uh, they don't really want me. They just don't want me to travel. because <laughs> Just stay out of our water. They know I'm in the United States, but they haven't filed for extradition. The only place I, you know, I can go to France if I want, uh, but the only place I can't go is my own home country of Canada, because Canada has made it quite clear that they will extradite me to Japan if I... As a Canadian, is that right, eh? Electrodite me there to Japan if I if I venture across that border. So, early on in the film, and I think when you were quite a bit younger, you, I'd love to hear sort of, you know, why why you, Paul? Like, like why do you care? You know, like I'm always I've been I've interviewed people who are trying to change the world on a variety of levels, and I would argue you've done that in in spades, as it were. Why this and not something else? How come you didn't when I opened a university or join the military? And, and I just I'm fascinated by your commitment and passion. The shot of you on the, on the on top of the dead whale just says it all. Well, I did do a lot of those things. I was mm. Canadian Coast Guard. I was with the Norwegian and the Swedish Merchant Marine. Uh, I was a medic for the American Indian Movement during the occupation of Wounded Knee in 1973. I did go to university. I majored in communications. So I did all those things. Mm -hmm. But um, there's two incidents that really changed my life. One, when I was 10, and uh, I spent the summer swimming with a family of beavers. And mm -hmm. uh, the next, I went back the next summer. They were gone, found out trappers had killed them all. And that made me quite angry. So that winter, I began to walk trap lines and destroy the traps and free the <laughs> And then in 1969, at 18, I was the youngest founding member of Greenpeace. But in 1975, we came up with this idea to, um, to protect the whales by putting our bodies between the harpoon and the whales. We were, you know, reading a lot of Gandhi at the time and that right. the approach. And uh, Bob Hunter and I were in a small boat and blocking the harpoon. That worked for about 20 minutes until the captain of the Soviet vessel came down the catwalk and screamed into the ear of the harpooner and looked down at us and smiled and brought his finger across his throat. And that's when I realized Gandhi wasn't going to work. And... Um, the harpoon flew over her head, slammed into the backside of one of the whales in the pod. She screamed and rolled on her side. There's blood everywhere. And the largest whale in that pod slapped the water with his tail and disappeared and swam right underneath of us and threw himself at the bow of the Soviet vessel. But they were waiting for him. They had a harpoon ready to go, unattached, but they hit him point blank in the head and he fell back in the water, rolling in agony, blood everywhere on the surface. And it was only about 100 meters away. And suddenly... I caught his eye 
And that mm. wall turned, and I saw a trail of bloody bubbles coming real fast. And he came up and out of the water at an angle so that the next move would have come right down on top of us and crush us. And as his head rose out of the water, and his eye was right there in front of my face, an eye the size of my fist that I so close I could see my own reflection in that eye. Wow. What I saw there changed my life forever because I felt understanding. The whale understood what we were trying to do. And instead of coming forward and crushing us, I could see the effort he made to pull himself back and to slide back into the sea as I disappeared beneath the surface and he died. Could have killed me. Chose not to do so. So I feel indebted to that life for the fact that I survived. But later, sitting in the middle of the Soviet whaling fleet as the sun was going down, I said to myself, why are we killing these whales? And um, it's, they didn't use it for food to eat. They, it was for oils, very highly prized, uh, high, highly heat-resistant oil. And one of the major uses, the most valuable use, was for the construction of intercontinental ballistic missiles. And I said to myself, here we are killing this incredibly beautiful, intelligent, mm. hopefully complex, self-aware, sentient being for the purpose of making a weapon meant for the mass extermination of human beings. And then it just hit me. We are insane. And from that moment on, I said, I ain't doing this for people. I'm doing it for them. Those are my clients, the whales, mm. the sharks. So in 1986, after we sank half of Iceland's whaling fleet, I had a former colleague from Greenpeace uh, call me up and he said, I just want to let you know that what you do in, uh, did in Iceland was reprehensible and unforgivable and you're an embarrassment to the movement. And wow. I said, yes, yeah, so? He said, well, I thought you would not know what we think about that. And I said, I don't really care. We didn't sink those ships for you or Greenpeace or any other human being. Find me a whale that disagreed with what we did, and we won't do it. <laughs> right. yeah, it's, it, you, don't you say in the film, uh, Paul, or at least Leslie edited this in, that, that, that uh, Gandhi wasn't going to help us that day, but you were indebted to the whale because there was this well, you, you've already talked about it. You saw your reflection in the eye. There was a moment you 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 connected in in some way that I think if most of us experienced that, we would connect. I think, but what then? Sea Shepherd and and your life and so on might not follow necessarily. Does that make sense? You know, you go on a holiday, you have this life changing experience, you come back home and you get back into the nine to five, blah blah blah, and before you know it, you've forgotten about the whales, etc. That, I mean, I just, that's the passionate commitment that I so admire and, and saw in the film. Well, there's other factors too. The fact that uh, shortly thereafter, uh, well, in 77, I uh, left Greenpeace and uh, set up Sea Shepherd. Um, one of the reasons I left Greenpeace is I was a campaign leader for the expedition to protect seals on the east coast of Canada. And uh, the bureaucracy of Greenpeace by that time was undermining my mm. I just couldn't deal with that. Uh, you know, I had all these plans and uh, strategies, and they just said, no, we can't do that. It's too controversial, too controversial. Um, the reason that they said that uh, I was voted off the board, I actually wasn't thrown out of Greenpeace. I was voted off the board was because uh, they said what I did was violent. Well, what I did was walk up to a sealer, grab his uh, club out of his hand, and throw it in the water. And uh, as I said at that board meeting, uh, I said my job was to save the lives of seals and to not hurt anybody, and that's exactly what I did. So if you have a problem with that, then I don't think that, uh, you know, this is my place to remain with this organization. You know, I can't deal with this bearing witness and doing nothing. You know, you don't you don't walk down the street and see a woman being raped and take pictures and hang banners. You don't watch a dog being kicked to death and take pictures and hang banners. And you don't stand there and watch a whale die and do nothing. 
You you intervene. I, you know, I'm reminded of a, a, an essay. I don't know uh, if I can uh, get it off, the, pull it out of the top of my, off the top of my head right now. But Peter Singer wrote an essay in the '70s, the the philosopher and ethicist about you know if you're walking by a pond and you're in a fancy suit and you see children drowning, you're going to step in, you're going to save them, and then and then went on to argue sort of for you know. Uh, international development and supporting children, et cetera. And it's a very classic essay. Uh, and I can't believe I can't pull it off the top of my head, but it's so, it's so important to reason that way through analogy, right? To, to, to make it relatable for folks like me who, who aren't going to be out on that ship is, is, is that kind of what Sea Shepherd is all about? Obviously they're about actually intervening and changing the way things are happening, but is it about, um, hmm, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, uh, not protest, um, advocacy, I guess, or is that a word that you're not well, a big fan of? Yes, so, but what what I started as an organization today has evolved into something which I'm most proud of, and it's a movement, mm. international movement. We're in 42 different countries. They're all separate entities cooperating to operate those ships and do campaigns. And so, Sea Shepherd's far bigger than me now. Uh, mm. You know, I'm uh, you know because I found in 2012 when the Japanese came after me personally and after Sea Shepherd uh, in the U.S. through the U.S. court system, that yeah, you can stop an individual and you can shut down an organization, but a movement, uh, you can't stop that. And so that's that's our strength. Can you talk a little bit about the three laws of ecology? Is it diversity, interdependence, and finite resources? You you talk about that as if this is your this is where where you know. <laughs> You didn't get it from Gandhi necessarily, but 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 it's rooted in some kind of sort of ethical foundation. Well, no species has survived on this planet outside of those three basic laws of ecology, the law of diversity, that the strength of an ecosystem is dependent upon diversity, the law of interdependence, all species within an ecosystem are interdependent with each other, and the law of finite resources. There's a limit to growth because there's a limit to resources. And when one species, say humans, uh, take too much, then that means that that's going to affect both diversity and interdependence, and they're going to have to disappear in order to make room for our, our greed and our, our, our numbers. So, uh, you know, at this rate, we're not the big problem. The real big problem is this viewpoint that humanity has of anthropocentrism. That mm. we are Lord and master and the most important and intelligent and wonderful creature on the planet and everything else doesn't matter. Uh, the fact is, is we don't live here without these other species. You know, a few years ago, Brett Hume from the Fox Network called me up out of the blue and he said, uh, you know, did you actually say that bees, trees and worms are more important than people? I'm like, yeah, I did say that. He said, well, how can you say something so outrageous? I said, well, I said it because bees, trees and worms are more important than people for the very simple fact that they can live here without us. But we can't live here without them. We need them. They don't need us. That makes them more important. This planet is really run by a crew, a crew of mm. species that keep everything running. If you look at the Earth as a spaceship, which is what it is, where the, every spaceship has a life support system, and that life support system provides the air we breathe, the food we eat, and regulates climate and temperature, and that life support system is run by a crew. We humans, we're passengers. We're having a wonderful time entertaining ourselves, but what we are doing is killing off crew members. And there's only so many crew members you can kill before the machinery begins to break down and things begin to fall apart. And that is what we're seeing right now with climate change, with tsunami transmission of viruses, destruction of ecosystems, uh, destruction of resources. We are destroying the very life support system that maintains us. And because we're within this anthropocentric bubble, we don't even see it. We don't understand that if phytoplankton in the world's ocean disappears, we die. 
we don't live on this planet without phytoplankton. It provides 70% of the oxygen that we breathe. We don't live on this planet without the bacteria in the soil and the viruses that uh, protect us and the and that and what we are doing right now, and we're seeing it quite evidently, is that when you diminish ecosystems and you diminish species, you create a situation where viruses associated with those other species need somewhere to go. And mm. then those species closest to us, bats or primates, those viruses are going to jump. They're going to jump onto us. Now, a virus doesn't want to kill a host. But in the meantime, it's there's a lot of hosts die because, while it's trying to maintain a coexistence <laughs> with, with it. Mm. So, uh, you know, viruses are associated with every plant and animal, and they're very beneficial. But when you upset the, uh, the, the system, then that's when you have problems. You, you you say you you overcame death playing a game as a kid, and and it seemed to me that that was a significant part of why you were able to do what you do. I, I think of the shot of you being, I think it's you, being a black and white sort of maybe footage of you being pulled up the side of a ship hanging onto a net and, and getting dunked over and over. <laughs> I just thought, at what point, Paul, do you say, geez, I wish I'd stayed in the classroom? Never. I... Those things have never really bothered me. I've, I've taken risks all my life. Hell, I'm turned seventy next month, and it's like, right. Um, but it, but it, but it comes down to. I mean, I think this idea, this overcoming this fear of death, is is really interesting and, and fascinating and important. It's absolute freedom. If, hmm. you're afraid, if you're not afraid of dying, you're not afraid of public speaking. You're not afraid of taking action. You're not afraid of doing anything. Uh, so it really gives you a well. It's a lack of fear. Because mm. the fear of death is the ultimate fear. So, you know, that's that that has stood me in good stead, really. Yeah. And <laughs> that um, it's acceptance, you know, and even if you read the books of Sun Tzu, you know, in The Art of War, the, the he said the where Sun Tzu actually says that the, uh, the, the primary attribute of a warrior is to a resolute acceptance of death. Mm. You know, we're all going to die. At some point, we're all going to die. It doesn't really matter when. <laughs> it really matters how you live, not, you know, nothing else, really. How, I've got so many questions, so many notes, and, and, and um, I'd love to know, just get a little personal here. How do, you, how, do you, uh, how do you rest? How do you rejuvenate? How do you, you know, recharge, if you will? Do you, do you play chess? Uh, you know, do you love film? What, what, what is it that you do? Well, I write a lot of poetry, I guess, you know, writing and that, but I, I don't really need to. Uh, mm. I learned a lesson many years ago when I was at Wounded Knee and as a volunteer medic. I, we were surrounded by 3,000 federal agents shooting at us, wow. wounded 46, they killed two. And uh, I went to Russell Means, who was the leader of the American Indian Movement, and I said, look, we, the odds are against us. There's no hope of us winning this. Why are we here? And what he told me uh, stayed with me for the rest of my life. And to, to this day, he said, look, we're not concerned about the odds and we're not concerned about winning or losing. We're here because it's the right thing to do, the right time to do it, and the right place to do it. And he said, don't worry about the future. Focus on the present. What we do in the present will define the future. And that's what we do. We don't worry about the future. We focus on the present. What we try to do is find an impossible answer to impossible problems. And I believe that 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 can be done. 
1972, the very idea that Nelson Mandela would become president of South Africa was unthinkable and therefore impossible, and yet it happened. And I think that all solution, all problems can be solved in that way by seeking the impossible solution. And you do that by harnessing your passion to courage and imagination and giving it all you got. Yeah, you talk about the courage to commit in the film. Yeah. Being passionately. Do you think that that we, that capitalism, that 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 politics has is bankrupt when it comes to empathy? I mean, is is that the key factor for for the world to stand up and take notice. Politics can't solve the problems. Never has. Never will. Governments cause problems. They don't. They don't. They, they don't uh, solve them. You know, slavery it wasn't ended by Abraham Lincoln. It was ended by the passion of Wilberforce and Douglas. Women who got the vote in. Uh, you know, it was because of the courage. Uh, uh, and passion of the suffragettes. I mean, Woodrow Wilson gets credit because he signed the bill, but he was their number one opponent until he actually had to sign the bill. So I can't think of anything where governments have actually really accomplished anything. Mm. Uh, the problem with politicians is that it's not that they might not want to do it. It's the problem is they can't do it. Um, you know, Justin Trudeau was the darling of uh, the uh, COP21 in Paris because he said all the right things, but he hasn't done any of them. You know, because they know that if they do, they're going to make the corporations angry. They're going to lose their support because people don't they, people want change, but they don't want to change. Right. <laughs> uh, so we can come up with solutions, but they're just not going to accept those solutions. You know, the meat industry killing 65 billion animals a year is a leading cause of uh, greenhouse gases, a leading cause of dead zones in the ocean, the leading cause of groundwater pollution. But uh, we know what the solution is, is a plant-based diet. But, oh, I don't know. I like my steak, that kind of thing. You know, people agree with it, but, hey, don't take my hamburger, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's, it's difficult because human beings, well, I always describe us as a bunch of overly conceited naked apes who are divine legends. <laughs> you know? Sounds like a bumper. This sounds like a bumper sticker. Well, yeah, you know? we just, we don't care. Right. We have no vision and we have this incredible ability to adapt to diminishment and accept it. If things become diminished, oh, we just move on to the next species to exploit or the next ecosystem to destroy, you know. So, you know, David Suzuki talked about, you know, I asked him about how he stays hopeful, how he, how he gets out of bed in the morning after, you know, 41 years of the nature of things and not seeing a lot of change and actually admitting that he felt that the environmentalist movement had failed. Um, and he talked about a balance, a balance, I think, small b, between anger and hope. I mean, do you find something similar or are you just kind of always angry but still able to, you know, have a bit of a sense of humor about it? Well, I don't. I'm actually not an angry person and uh, I don't have or not have hope, really. I, like I said, I focus on the present and uh, that, uh, you know, will define what the future will be. I don't get angry. Uh, actually quite calm in all of these situations. That's the only way you can survive in a confrontation situation is you have to be right. calm about it. You know, when I'm in a position where I ha I'm in an encounter with a whaling ship or everything like that, I I'm not angry at them. I'm just trying to find ways to, uh, to stop them from doing what they're, what they're doing. I mean, David Suzuki is uh, an incredible educator. And, uh, you know, he's seen a lot. But one of the things that he does focus on, which I certainly agree with, is that we can learn a lot of lessons from indigenous cultures. Mm. Uh, learn a way to go back to the biocentric point of view, to understand mm. that we're part of everything and not dominant over everything. And so with Sea Shepherd, we're quite 
proud of the fact that we're allied with the Maori and the Aboriginals and with many Native uh, tribes. Uh, we're the only ships that fly or allowed to fly or given permission to fly the, the flag of the Five Nations, uh, which was presented to us by the Mohawks. And um, they said, you know, when they gave it to us, is that, you know, you don't make any decision in your life until you take into the account the consequences in all future generations. So they could see that that we were looking at the big picture. So, so listen, we sadly have to wrap it up. I, 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 could, I think I could chat to you all day. I was so, so many places we could go. And I don't want to, I don't want to be accused of reductionism here, but, but is, I mean, what, what can folks like me do? What, what people who aren't going to be getting on, you know, the Sea Shepherd in the near future or, or one of your 12 vessels? Well, very simple. Everybody needs to just focus on what their abilities and mm. are and harness that to their passion and harness their passion to courage and imagination. And each and every one of us can change the world. And it doesn't really matter what your approach is. It could be litigation. It could be education. It could be legislation. It could be direct action or whatever. It doesn't matter as long as you focus on making this a better world because one person can make a difference. Because of Diane Fossey, we have mountain gorillas in Rwanda because of David Wingate. This Bermuda storm petrel did not go extinct. Look at Greta, Greta Thunberg, a 16-year-old mm. girl, has been able to accomplish, you know, and dressing down world leaders on these on these issues. We all have that ability. So I always say to young people, don't be deterred by criticism. Follow right. your path. Nice. Do what you can with your abilities and uh, and go for it. And um, you know, because young people have an intuitive understanding what the problem is and unfortunately our educational system tends to beat that out of us right and uh, to discourage intuition and imagination it's a it's a it's affirming it's encouraging and it's a it's a serious challenge i i appreciate it and appreciate the time paul it's been a pleasure chatting with you here on face to face thanks for your time and um yeah looking for i mean is there is there a is there a book coming out of the film do you know or what might be next well, I have quite a few books, and actually there's a motion picture that's being made by Jack Ferran, who made uh, Oceans. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm writing a lot of books, really. I, I, I latest I, Orcopedia about, uh, you know, our treatment of orcas uh, in captivity, and that's out now. That was just released. And also I wrote a book on climate change, but it's only available in the French language out of France. Hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, where, where can people find out more of a Sea Shepherd, uh, obviously, uh, website? There's a Toronto chapter, there's a France, uh, French chapter, there's many actually, right? So people can just search that and, and learn a little bit more about what's going on. Yeah, seashepherd.org. And we have all the social network sites, of course. We also have Sea Shepherd in London and Vancouver and Halifax and Montreal. Amazing. Thank, thanks so much for joining me today, Paul. Really, really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 